This is the EPLOG audio experience. Experiences are valuable. They either become interesting stories or lifelong lessons. Welcome to Voice of Achievers, a podcast that captures the lessons in these stories and the emotions within such experiences. My name is Yashika and I talk to passionate individuals from diverse fields as they share their journey, their disappointments, their motivations. What did they experience? How could they have done better? Can we, the listeners, benefit from their stories? Well, let's find out. Our bodies are made up of innumerable cells. When an organ is injured, a set of cells can be used to replace the damaged cells and potentially cure many diseases. These special cells are called stem cells. So why am I telling you all this? Well, because we have a very interesting guest on our show today. Imagine spending years all together in a laboratory, researching and experimenting. Sounds boring, sounds interesting. So if you were to meet our guest today, you could almost feed off her energy. Dr. Deepa Subramaniam is a scientist at the National Center for Cell Science in Pune, working towards understanding how stem cells give rise to different cell types in our body. Her research focuses on the transport of cell molecules inside a stem cell from one compartment to another. Having completed her undergraduation in biochemistry, she jumped right into an integrated PhD from the National Center of Biological Sciences in Bengaluru and then went on to do a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of California at San Francisco. Since starting her lab at NCCS in 2012, she has done some groundbreaking research in this field simply because she loves what she does. Let's find out more. Welcome to the show, Deepa. Thank you, Yashika. It's a pleasure to be here. To start with the basics, what is it that even motivated you to take up a career in scientific research? So when you think about it, life basically starts as just one single cell, yeah. which is the fertilized egg. And from this cell, you make this entirely complicated organism, which has all these different tissue types, cell types, not to talk about our ability to think, to act, you know, to understand things. When you go back and think that all of this came about from one single cell. And so that's what keeps us going. So what does scientific research entail? It's a series of experiments which are thought about and you conduct them to try and get a little more information about how things actually work. In our case, like I mentioned, it's about how stem cells give rise to different cell types and what controls them becoming, let's say, a muscle cell versus a nerve cell versus a hair cell or a skin cell. So a stem cell, just like you know, students after finishing school, has to take a wise decision after taking into consideration all the different signals and all the different things that it's bombarded with. And then it has to do that in a decent way. So talking about the choices that one has to make, 
the general norm in India is to complete the 10 plus 2 followed by a graduation then a master's degree and then a PhD. It's almost like a step-by-step -step process that we've been born and brought up with. Now you went on to do a PhD right after your bachelor's degree and that was an integrated PhD. How does that work? So a number of institutes in the country actually offer this uh, degree which is called an integrated PhD degree which puts together a master's program along with a PhD. Club the master's and the PhD together at a few institutes in the country. Some of them are the National Center for Biological Sciences, Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, and the ISERS, the Indian Institutes of uh, Science, Education, and Research, and there are a number of those across the country. So these allow you to get into research right away rather than just having a regular master's degree. So you. You have your courses, but along with that, you're also conducting experiments in laboratories and trying to understand what research is really all about. So you sort of get an advanced introduction into the whole idea of laboratory-based research at a much earlier stage. And I feel that this sort of, you know, it doesn't kill your enthusiasm for the subject, but it allows it to grow in a much more organic manner. But don't you think that the knowledge is half-baked by then? So a lot of scientific knowledge needs to come about by doing things and understanding things rather than just reading and memorizing. Because one truly doesn't understand the depth of an experiment or why things were done a certain way unless you do them yourself. So I feel that the sooner one gets introduced to laboratory-based science, that is much more beneficial than going through books and that one learns only when you start designing your own experiments and making mistakes. I think failing and making mistakes is an integral part of any learning and definitely in the case of science too. Exactly. When we talk about scientific research, research typically entails innumerable failures. So how does one continue to stay afloat at that point in time? You're right, there's a lot of failure in science, but I think the main thing one should take from the failures is that one should learn from them and whatever made your experiment fail if it fails then you know one needs to improve upon that so in that sense every experiment that we set up and every part of research is an improvement upon what was done before and so the failures are just in a sense a stepping stone to trying to understand the system to understand the problem at hand and it is mostly for the aha moments which are perhaps less than 0.1 percent mm -hmm. of our time in research that we all live because at that point when something works you are pretty much the only person on the planet who has that information at that moment and that's a pretty cool feeling i think <laughs> indeed one may want to live for that feeling but talking about commercial viability when talking about a career in science one has a typical notion that it might not be as attractive and as viable financially as opposed to fields like business operation or engineering careers, primarily due to its inability to satisfy one financially. So what do you think and what do you think needs to change for people to understand that a scientific career can be fulfilling both financially and internally? So a lot of things have changed in the last uh, decade or so, especially in terms of salaries and fellowships when it comes to scientists. And, you know, graduate students or PhD students or even integrated PhD students are actually paid a pretty handsome fellowship to complete their tenure in the lab. So there are a number of fellowships which are available and a lot of them are given by the government of India so that to encourage students 
Also, the government has enhanced the salaries of scientists. So it's, it is, it's not financially non-viable, so to speak. Okay. Pretty good, but I think more than the financial aspect of it, a lot of it comes from this you know, true joy of understanding things. When you head a lab, you've designed a problem, you've decided what you want to work on. And that type of flexibility is difficult to find in other, you know, other occupations or in other professions. If you can justify that in science and you can figure out how to get grants for that, you can turn the direction of your lab from one field to another. So that type of flexibility in what type of problems you want to take on, how you want to approach these problems, whether you want to develop new techniques for them, it's, 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 you know, there is a lot of flexibility in that. And I think that's where the joy uh, largely comes from. But when one talks about decision-making and choices that one has to make after undergraduation, do you think that one is equipped enough to understand that I want to do a PhD or an integrated PhD in X or in Y? And will I be able to switch gears? Do you think that is a possibility? So I think one way to figure out if one really wants to do a PhD or an integrated PhD is to have or to undertake some sort of an internship and there are a lot of positions available for that. A lot of laboratories will allow people to come and volunteer for a short period of time and this would just you know give you an idea whether this is something you want to do for the next four or five years or you'd rather not do it. And I think that's important as you rightly mentioned a lot of people come in to do a PhD without really knowing what it involves. But I think if you go through this, you know, short experience of, you know, spending time in a lab and trying to figure out if this is really your cup of tea, that's a good idea. And the other thing, Yashika, is what you're trying to do is to set up these fantastic platforms, you know, to allow mentors and mentees to interact. And I think that would be a great way to allow people to sample what's out there and to get a real feeling what's going on in the scientific field. Tell us specifically for a scientific career and for scientific research, what are the three characteristics that I may look at for me to figure out if I am fit for a scientific career? I think uh, there are three uh, very important characteristics that are required and they are basically patience, perseverance and tenacity. And all aspects of science because as you mentioned early on, failure is fairly common in mm. all types of research. and so. You need these three things to tide you over the hard moments. You've had a taste of science in India and science in San Francisco. Tell us how the subject is seen differently in each case. I think the major difference, you know, deals with the number of people who are working science in both these places. So in India, it's a very small number of people who are involved in active research when you compare it to countries in the West. And I think with that, there is a huge difference because then the number of people who are experts in your field just increases. Whereas in India, if you have to find somebody who's working on a similar area as you, with whom you could collaborate or with whom you can work or just bounce off ideas, it's almost impossible or it's very, very difficult to find somebody with uh, you know, overlapping expertise people. And so your community, your scientific community is very small. And with this comes additional problems, for example, when your grants have to be reviewed or your manuscripts have to be reviewed or your progress has to be reviewed, there really isn't anyone else within the country who works on questions similar to you. So, you know, assessment then becomes a problem. 
since the community is small and like you said when one is looking to collaborate in a similar field how does one reach out to the correct person yeah so mostly <laughs> we find one another uh, you know by searching on the internet or you attend a meeting and there you find uh, you know that there's somebody else who's doing something similar but you know which would complement uh, what you're working on you know yeah. and so then having a good website is definitely beneficial if the other way to find them is when you meet uh, someone at a conference or a meeting or a symposium and then you find like-minded people working on similar aspects of the same problem talking a little bit more about stem cells in particular i mean tell us what what does a day in your laboratory look like okay let me tell you a little about stem cells first perhaps so early on in development soon after fertilization as you said there's a ball of cells and some of these cells go on to make the entire organism which is you and me now once the body is made organs have been uh, formed each organ or tissue also has a set of stem cells set aside for that particular organ which is dedicated to the repair and maintenance of that organ or that tissue and because they are so specific in their function and their nature these are called adult stem cells now in addition to that there are these engineered stem cells which are made in the laboratory and this technique uh, got the nobel in uh, 2012 for the discovery of a method by which you could take any non stem cell from the body and convert it into a stem cell like cell so for example imagine that you know you're suffering from some disorder due to which you know some cells in your body are dying and you are unable to find a tissue donor with an exact match so it would be ideal if one could generate stem cells which were exactly identical to the genetic makeup in your body so they basically came up with a technique by which you can take cells from your own body let's say skin cells or even hair cells and then convert them into stem cell like cells and then take and make them into whichever cell type is needed in your body to cure the disorder so such cells are called induced pluripotent stem cells and the method by which you can convert the non stem cells into the stem cells is called reprogramming basically now once we figured out that these cells are safe enough every individual in the world basically has the potential to have a shot at a cure for a disorder where maybe cells are dying using their own cells from their own body So in my laboratory what we try and study is how embryonic stem cells make all the different cell types in the body and we are looking at specifically how the movement of molecules and the distribution of molecules within a stem cell helps it to make a decision whether it wants to become uh, a neural cell that is a nerve cell or a blood cell or a muscle cell stem cells as fantastic as they may seem in the sense that they can give rise to every cell type also have a very dark and ugly side to them and that side is that stem cells if not treated properly can give rise to tumors so to just give you an example it's not a real case scenario you may go to treat something as trivial as baldness where you want you know to transplant you know certain stem cells and you might end up with something as terrible as a tumor so it's important to know what is approved what has been tried and tested and what is safe and to not just jump into this whole idea of you know let's go for a stem cell based therapy because there are you know there are dangerous side effects to this type of treatment which are not always known to the public so where does one get the information 
There are a couple of uh, websites which give you this information, and one uh, you could find it at the Government of India Department of Biotechnology's website, where they talk about the stem cell rules and laws. And the other would be at uh, the NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health in the USA. And they have a website which talks about uh, you know, what is approved and not approved in terms of stem cell-based therapy. Moving back slightly to the careers in science, if one is in the field of scientific research, tell us what are the kinds of careers one could have. So I can only speak uh, for the field of biology and probably closer to what I work with. You know, finishing a PhD does not necessarily mean that that's the end of the road and that only an academic scientific position is the option. There are a lot of options these days. and I, So if you still want to stay very close to the actual research, there's of course the academic scientific position where you can head a laboratory or be part of a laboratory in an institute. There's also the option of joining an industry and working as a scientist there. Other than that, there are a lot of other positions which require you to have enough knowledge about science, but you may not directly be doing science, and this would involve scientific writing, scientific outreach, uh, you know, helping with generating scientific magazines. There are also a lot of legal positions uh, available in science, for example, people who deal with scientific patents. There's a lot of jobs coming up with scientific illustration. Because, so I think that sort of opens up a whole niche. I think that, uh, there are a lot of jobs which are opening up which work off you know, uh, the ability of a person to understand the basic science, yeah. but also to use it in different ways and to bring in different talents that these people have. Just to conclude, what does achievement mean to you? So to me, I think the success of my students and the people in my laboratory is what matters the most to me. And if I can even help a handful of them do what they want to do in life, I would consider that a huge achievement. Great. All we can hope is that you continue inspiring your students with this extremely pleasing personality that you have. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deepa, for being on the show. Thank you, Yashika, for having me. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to Voice of Achievers and share the link with your friends. Tune in for brand new episodes every Sunday at 11am. Stay updated and stay connected by following us on Instagram at Voice of Achievers. You may also send us guest suggestions or topics that you'd like us to cover with our guests by writing to us. Send out an email to editor at voiceofachievers.com with your name followed by your suggestion. Trust me, we are listening and we cannot wait to share more such voices to empower you.